when you're ready for the long haul, this is your next stop on the Comics Quest. And welcome to episode 9 of the long haul, listeners. How are you? I have uh, listeners, I haven't I haven't checked in on you in, in in quite some time and I feel like just the worst person because I haven't been doing that for you and I and I'm I, I apologize. That is on me. Um but I hope you I hope you're all doing well. And uh today I have just a a, a fun a fun-filled episode. I'm not being sarcastic at all. This is going to be one of the best recordings ever. Um, because Way to overpromise. <laughs> oh no! Who is this? Who are you? <laughs> Who is any of us, really? <laughs> well, since you've already heard him, I guess I'll go ahead and introduce him. He's the one and only uh, co-host of Panelology, the Rob Thomas, no, not that one, Robcast, and Minds at Yerk, Alex Lavelle. Hi. Hi, you're back. I'm back. I'm back again. One in three episodes is me. <laughs> Pretty much. You know, it's very funny that, uh, that like, how I, I, with Morrison Quest going on, I don't have you at all this season. Yeah, every time you mention Morrison Quest, I'm like, which episode of that am I doing? And then I remember none of them. Yeah, none of just them. So like, because I'm going into rehearsal again, so I can't even be like, oh, I'll take that one. Yeah. But I know for a fact once once rehearsal is over, you're just gonna be like, instantly just like I'm gonna be on half of the season. <laughs> Probably, I don't think I have any more episodes written down, but I'm sure we've talked about others. <laughs> I I feel like I should preface this with I am very tired. I am theater exists again, and I am very happy for it. And look, uh, hey, uh, wear your masks and. Get the vaccine if you haven't already, and if you have, get ready for that third dose in November or December, depending on when you got your second dose. Um, but I'm very tired. I'm very yeah. tired, and I want to get to keep doing this so everyone get vaccinated and wear masks, but I'm very tired. Um, I am yeah, having we, to yeah, learn. I'll... I compared it earlier when JD and I were getting caught up to running a marathon, and I ran my first marathon of Tech Week last week. Without having done it for 18 months. And, uh, like, all the weird, like, little habits and sort of muscle memory things that I would do to make life easier for myself, I've straight up forgotten. I've got to learn it all over again. I lost my debit card. And I go into rehearsal for another show in a few days. I'm a little tired. I'm going to bring a different energy to this than I normally do. That's what I'm really getting at. And... <laughs> Maybe I'm sorry, maybe I'm not. Maybe I shouldn't be. I don't know. You don't you shouldn't be. You 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 have done so much and you, again, you know, even though one of one of those podcasts that I mentioned is currently on hiatus, you still have two podcasts that you host weekly or weekly or bi-weekly or and, and also edit them as well. And then you also have a full-time job on top of that. Yeah. You, you you have you have a lot to do. I like and have missed being busy. That does not change the fact that I am having to get busy back in my bones. Busy back in my bones. I like that. Put that put that on Alex's tombstone in, in 40 years. Alex's tombstone will just be a series of elaborate Excel functions. This has already <laughs> been established. <laughs> This has been established on a podcast that I was not a part of, apparently. Oh, no, this is just my life. I A few years ago, when I got back into professional stage management, I reached out to an old production manager who was also my work-study boss in college 
just to see like what he knew of that was going on and i knew the theater he was at had some people leave and just you know hey i've got some free time if you need any hands if you're short-staffed at all let me know and the first thing he said in response was i seem to recall you're being very good with excel <laughs> Like, it's been a decade, but if that's the thing that sticks in your memory, you know what? That's actually totally on brand. Yeah. And that was the moment when I realized I will be eulogized with a spreadsheet. as funny as it made it out to be but that was very funny <laughs> i find it i find it humorous i appreciate this i have i have embraced this as my brand <laughs> you know what else is on brand for you uh recommending tom taylor comics because i mean who would have thunk it alex is back on for his third appearance on the long haul and what are we talking about we're talking a tom taylor comic again so i have because... to be a little disruptive uh-oh um jd figures that every time we talk i recommend three new books i've already gotten one uh-oh here's number two uh-oh <laughs> and you may know this already you probably know this already because i posted about it in discord but uh you know they announced a new tom taylor book last week the the dark knights of steel yes correct? 12 issues sword and sorcery miniseries with yasmin putriart yeah. Oh, I'm so yeah. excited. That is that is going on the pull list as soon as possible. And I just remembered I still have to add Dark Ages to my to my pull list as well because I am very excited for Dark Ages. Everything's coming up, Tom Taylor. Yes, please, thank you. please and thank you. I, I I love it. Well, listeners, uh this week the Tom Taylor book that we're digging into is the eleven issue Maxi series Suicide Squad colon Bad Blood with art by uh, by penciler and inker Bruno Redondo, penciler uh, Daniel Sampara. Is that how you pronounce his name? I usually say Sampere. Sampere. That, that sounds better. And inker Juan Albaron, I believe is always how you pronounce their name. And co- with colors by Adriano Lucas and letters by Wes Abbott. Um, so the basic gist of this comic, if you're not really familiar, is... Uh, there's a new Suicide Squad, which is established in this first issue, um, which is Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Magpie, Cavalier, Zebra Man, and King Shark. And As Harley puts it, the worst Suicide Squad. Yes, both her and Deadshot are very adamant that this is the worst Suicide Squad they've been a part of. And uh, we're introduced uh, immediately to... Um, a recurring character through this throughout the series by the name of Locke, L-O-K, Locke. Just think of Loki, but without the I, and just, you know, in general, a terrible, an absolutely terrible fucking human being. Just, like, think of all the bad things about the U.S. government, which I know is a lot, but think of that ten times worse and compacted into the worst military officer of all time. If that Thunderbolt Ross... <laughs> and Norman Osborn had a child together. That child and we would grow all know up to be how Locke. it goes when Norman Osborn has children. Well, you raise a valid point. 
we all know what happens, and what we get is Locke. Yeah. <laughs> it's canon in our minds now. Norman Osborn is the father of Locke. And and Thunderbolt Ross. Don't forget and Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt Ross. Ross. Yeah, Thunderbolt Ross is also the father of, of this of this maniac. Yes, two 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 awful human beings from the Marvel universe birthed this awful character from the DC universe. That's how these things go. I mean, here's the thing about Locke. Locke is Locke is objectively terrible. Locke is wonderful in that this is a character who was created to make Amanda Waller seem reasonable. Oh yeah, like it's pointed out multiple times throughout this series that like Amanda Waller is a monster, but she's a uh, she's a competent monster. Locke yeah, is, is just a he's just an incompetent douche nozzle of a psychopath. She at least has rules and some form of a code. He wants to hurt people. Yeah, that is his code. He's like, I want to hurt as many as I can. So immediately you're just like. Tom Taylor, you have introduced just the absolute worst of humanity in this first issue. But Tom Taylor also introduces the absolute best of humanity. Oh, he does. And let's go ahead and get right into uh, the revolutionaries. uh, They say you want a revolution. Beatles. I was doing the Beatles. Okay, for a second I thought you were doing someone else. And I was just like, how dare you bring them onto this podcast? Uh, I have no clue. I was doing the Beatles. I will tell you off hair who I'm talking about because I refuse to say their name on this sh- on on any of my shows because they can go fuck themselves. Okay. Uh, the Beatles are fine to bring on this show. The Beatles I, are that, also like half dead, so. That is true. This is very much true, and unfortunately, uh, uh half of the Beatles that are dead were one of the best ones, which kind of sucks. I do not pick favorites among the Beatles. I know they all have their they all they all have their 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 highs and lows and their quirks that I enjoy from each of them. We were talking about Wink and the Airy. That is what we were trying to segue <laughs> to. And the thing is, though, like I'm like, look, look, Wink and the Airy, who we previously talked about on our DC's episode in 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 talking of the series DC's Hope at World's End, which is not where they were first introduced. They were first introduced here, but. Wink in the Eerie, I absolutely fucking love. That is like that is canon on this show. I adore these two. They have the absolutely they just have the best relationship. They're both extremely wonderful human beings. I love them both. But when I when when I, when we when you say the the best of humanity, I don't just think of them. I think of the entirety of the revolution. Well, that's fair. Um I do love me some Jog and some Deadly Six. Jog and Deadly Six are great. Osita, our leader, she is just like, she's she's great. We've got Osita, we've got, I believe her name, uh, her name is pronounced Thylacine. Yep. Thylacine and Chaos Kitten. With Chaos Kitten's amazing, fantastic. The, the, just the, one of the greatest outfits ever. I love, I love her beanie. I want that beanie. Give it like Tom Taylor. <laughs> like Tom Taylor, have a conversation with like DC merchant the mer- the DC merchandising team and get that beanie made because I will buy it. Like I know you're old. Like I know you you can't really like market to just one individual, but this one time, please do that for me. I beg of you. Like I, I want it. See, we also have uh, Finn. Was that? 
Finn and Scale, those are Finn the... Finn and Scale are our two Atlantean, our two Atlantean twin brothers. Yep. Uh, as well as uh, Tien Tien, uh, real name Javier. And, we, like, you know, because this is, you know, this is the first issue, I have no, I have no objection to, to spoiling the outcome of the first issues a little bit. Um, it does say on, it, it, when the, when the series original, originally was uh, published and that first issue dropped... It did say it did have Harley Quinn on the cover of the saying like don't like essentially saying don't get attached half of this team will die by the end of this issue. Yeah. And that is true. By the end of the first issue both Cavalier and Magpie are dead. Uh Magpie is killed by uh Thylacine in some fashion. And Cavalier gets his head obliterated by Osita just punching straight through it. And but also uh Scale is eaten uh, by King uh, Shark. Yeah, he's a snack. Yeah, he's a legit yeah, snack. And, and Javier uh, is blown up by Locke. So that is, and then by the end, uh, Amanda Waller reveals that she has quit, which I, I, I believe I heard some rumblings that that was actually like due to like a larger plan of hers. You know, I'm curious here because. I didn't think about it a lot at the time, but with you saying that and rereading it earlier, I wondered how much it was meant to sort of feed into what her status quo is now and soon will be in in continuity. Um, without going into great detail, right now she's in a place where like she's kind of tired of nobody wanting her help. And is searching the multiverse for a place where somebody will let her come in and do her thing and save their world and thank them, thank her for it. Uh, and I won't, I won't get more specific than that. But the place she settles on is just an incredible decision. We will talk off air about this. We because... we will. Because I because I'm not sure exactly what he's what he's talking about. But, but um... it, it this also gives me a chance to say something else, which is I want to talk about Suicide Squad in general just a little bit before we yes. get too deep in this. Did did you watch the movie? I did. I did watch the movie one okay. night this week. I was like, I cannot work anymore. I have to stop and turn off my brain. Mm-hmm. And that is how I did it. Um, what I wanted to say is. Prior to this version of Suicide Squad, I'm not sure I have ever read more than two or three issues of any Suicide Squad run. Yeah. This is definitely the one that, like, finally worked for me. And I actually am really digging what Robbie Thompson and the art team uh, on the current run are doing. Yeah, uh, how many issues are we into that current run? I was seeing it at my shop, but I forgot where we're at now. Uh, we're six in, but I would also recommend reading the two future state issues that very much sort of, I think six is almost caught up to what we saw in future state. Okay. Um, but those two issues are very much like teasing what Waller's big, big plan is. Okay. I have, I'm, I'm thinking of what, uh, what I, what I'm going to do eventually over the, you know, the next month you know few months i'm going to acquire all of the future state trades because dc has actually it was like did a really nice thing of like actually just collecting 
all of the future states in as few trades as possible. Yeah, there are like six of them, I think. Yeah, so like eventually I'm going to acquire all of them and just read everything because I do want to like at least see what all of that was because I like because I'm like I haven't read any of it. I think so they're I read... all on Infinite now. Oh, I'll have to check that out because I, I I have seen a lot of them being added within with like in the past few weeks. Yeah. So I'll I'll check that out as well. Um, yeah, like and and like so like I'm with you. Like I don't have a lot of history with the Suicide Squad in the comics. Like, I do know prior to the 2016 disaster, I knew of them. And I knew of them, honestly, because of an animated movie that came out years ago called Batman Assault on Arkham. Mm -hmm. Which, after watching that, and then watching the 2016 disaster... I thought, why didn't they just make just make a just make the just expand upon the Assault on Arkham animated film? Have, did you see the Assault on Arkham Arkham movie? I did. Okay, so you you know what I'm talking about. It's like that movie just works the way it is, and it's yeah. like it's not a Batman movie. It is very much a Suicide Squad movie, just with Batman's name on it. Well, you know that movie is kind of a weird thing existentially. If memory serves, the entire reason it was made and kind of all the character designs and histories in it were built on the character designs for um, Batman Arkham Origins. The I, I honestly have no idea because I have no... I have no connection to the Arkham yeah. games whatsoever. The, the, the Arkham Origins is sort of the weird prequel game in that trilogy that was actually developed by a different studio it was developed by wb montreal instead of rocksteady and it was designed as a prequel and it was about all of these assassins coming to gotham mm -hmm. um i never finished it but i watched the movie and like i think i think the movie was really meant to help tie into that and promote that and to maybe build that world out some. That makes sense. I also think they wanted it to be something that could stand alone. So they didn't make a big meal out of that either. Yeah. And that, and, and, and I definitely would feel that, feel that way because having no connection to the games whatsoever. And like, honestly knowing like only m very small bits and pieces of all, any of the games I, I I get everything going on in the move and in, in the in the Assault on Arkham movie. There also is a there was a sequel, Suicide Squad: Hell to Pay, which I haven't seen, but I've heard very good things regarding it. I think I own it. I don't think I've watched it. Yeah, it's on HBO Max, so so eventually I will I will get to it. I've been I've been going through and trying to catch up on all those animated movies that I missed because a lot of them are actually very good and. Um, a very good writer that I that I like very much, J.M. DeMatteis, has written many of them. My my favorites of of those, and there are a lot that I enjoy, probably remain DC: The New Frontier and Batman: Under the Red Hood. Under the Red Hood, I think, is my favorite of all of the, of all I, of those. I Start, think it's mine like, too. 
Yeah, because like starting like I because like this started with um, Superman Doomsday, which I remember mm-hmm. watching when it came out because that came out in two thousand and seven or eight. I was nine or ten when I watched it. Yeah, and like so, like that was at, and like I was in college, <laughs> but I remember when it came out, and I was just like. I was like, ooh, like an animated PG-13 Superman movie? What's that going to be like? And watching it, I was just like, oh, wow, okay, this is this is weird. It took uh, me a while to buy in because I was bummed that it did not maintain the continuity from Justice League Unlimited. And I was so invested in because I would have been like five or six when Batman the Animated Series started. That was basically my life, that whole... I know you have that talked about Bruce, on, Tim, Paul on, Dini. you've talked about on multiple shows how like that was how you kind of got into comics. Was yeah, I mean, very like not even got into comics. I think I still could could never have gotten into comics, and like those would be foundational to me. Kind of the movies are why I started seeking out comics. Right. Um, but really, truly, like I kind of took a breath before I did Doomsday or New Frontier mm-hmm. just to give let myself get some distance from the end of Justice League because that was kind of the end of an era that had been most of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, you know, Dwayne like Dwayne McDuffie shaped a lot of uh what I love about Justice League and the DC mm-hmm. universe in general and in all. Dwayne McDuffie, rest in peace, one of the Dwayne best Mcdu- writers. I mean also, also, uh, Darwin Cook. Absolutely, right. Darwin he, Cook he, he came on as, board. He as an animator on, he, on a lot of the shows. He worked on Superman the Animated Series. He was in a lead role. Like, he designed the title sequence for Batman Beyond on, like, yeah. an iMac, like, at the last minute. He and wrote an episode of JLU. He wrote that he wrote the Suicide Squad episode. He for did. JLU. And New Frontier was based on like his masterwork. Yes. Um. So like, which uh, you can actually uh, hear my, me and my friend Nick Wolf talk about it on the third episode of Comics Quest. To this day, like if I have to gun to my head, answer what's your favorite comic? That's the answer I give: is DC the New Frontier. It's definitely up there for me. I, I I think I could I think I could I could definitely put it in my top three. I could prob I could probably reassess that answer now, like ten years into actually reading stuff. But as sort of an easy like, this is a thing you can buy in one trade, and I don't have to explain like volume numbers and where it fits in continuity and all that. I can just yeah. be like, no, read this. It's fun and it's accessible. It's That's the, why it was one the of the easy first answer. It was one of the why it was one of the first episodes that we ever recorded for the show because I was like, I feel like this is like if you ever want to know anything about the DC universe in general, this is the perfect entry. And you know what I think is the perfect entry into Suicide Squad? This book. Bad Blood. It is. And here is why. Here is why I think this worked for me when Suicide Squad hasn't before. Mm-hmm. I think it's because of the revolutionaries and not specifically because they're all just fantastic and make everyone around them better. Like, yeah, if you want to talk about current continuity and like Harley's arc from anti-hero to actual hero in Gotham, Mm -hmm. you could point at this book and be like, well, yeah, okay. She, she went through everything here and 
then decided to go help Batman fight the Joker. Like, you can you can argue that, like, that is kind of her arc. And there are ways that ties into, like, where she's at with Poison Ivy and stuff that happened after Heroes in Crisis, a book that was not for me. Yeah, um, and not for a lot of people, This the host of the show including. Um, but, but, like, truly, I think this book works because you have... You have a version of the management of the Suicide Squad that is worse than Waller. The institution and organization becomes the villain. And once the squad and the revolutionaries join up, they almost immediately all become sympathetic. Even, I mean, Deadshot is the most sympathetic character in this book in a way. Yeah. And that shouldn't work. Floyd Lawton should, like... Floyd Lawton is, you know, the kind of scumbag villain who you see hanging out in a truck stop. (laughs) He's not even... He's not even the most important marksman in the DC universe. He's not even the most important marksman with one eye in the DC universe. But he has two eyes. I mean, sometimes Slade does too. (laughs) This time he has two eyes and therefore it is canon forever. Yes. Uh, But everybody gets to be the hero. While also like never shying away from the fact that like they've done horrible things. It's... It's part of what I think also works about James Gunn's Suicide Squad movie. Like, no one's saying these guys are great people, mm-hmm. but they have a level of humanity to them that is, like, endearing. Yes, yeah, like, sometimes your morals are a little out of line with everyone else. However, you still, like, ha- you still have your moral center, and you can still see people for who they are and respect them for who they are. And, I mean, any book that is about the way that massive government and financial institutions are here to maintain a status quo that's not actually good for most people and fighting against a status quo that is not for the benefit of everyone, like, I'm here for that. And this book also brings that energy. That's why they're the revolutionaries. Here's the thing. So, like, um, so I, too, adore James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Um... I can agree. I agree. I can agree with a lot of the criticisms laid at the movie, and, uh, uh, th- and that deal with that how how Gunn handles um, the his criticisms of the institution of Task Force X, as well as um, the like the 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 status quo of the Corto Maltese government and his di- and and the dictatorship of it. I can understand and like how he didn't go far enough. And I can understand that. Sure. I think with this, this is like the ideal version of that movie. Of like this yeah. is what I this mean, mo- the movie could have aspired to be. I, However, I think, this is a this is 11 issues so they have more time to go into it. I think that this is trying to be something different than what the movie is being. If I okay, I'm going to take no more than two minutes and say my piece on the movie. Okay. I think it is beautifully designed. I like aesthetically a lot of lo- 
a lot of what Gunn brings to the table. I think there are some great characters. Idris Elba and Ratcatcher 2 are both, like, just fantastic. Yes, I know he plays Bloodsport. That's a dumb name. It's Idris Elba. <laughs> um, Bloodsport is an awesome name, and it's awesome because it's dumb. Sure. In a very <laughs> 90s way. Yeah. Um... I am not a big hyper-violence person, so, like, that element of the movie does not play to me. I'm just not the intended audience. The beats in it, pretty predictable. Didn't surprise me in those ways. I think it does what it sought out to do. I don't think it's trying to do the things that it gets criticized for, and that's, in and of itself, a valid place for criticism. Um, Like, point out that it's missing a point. That's fine. To me, it's a solid B personally, but like I think a very successful example of doing what the filmmakers involved wanted to do. And Ratcatcher and Taika Waititi sitting on a building just made me made me all verklimped. Yeah, it's it's great. I tried looking up to see if Bloodsport came out in the nineties. I can't find it for some reason. He doesn't have a Wikipedia page, um, but you know. That's okay. I'm going to assume the Bloodsport was uh, was probably introduced in the 90s because, as you pointed out, he does have a very 90s name. Uh, no, I I can I can get that. Um, I, I first appearance Superman Volume Two Number Four April 1987. Would you like oh. to know what other character made their first appearance in April of 1987? Please tell me. Me. Look at that. See you in Bloodshutter. Our 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 Bloodsport. Blood, <laughs> bloodshot, valiant. Right. <laughs> what do you? It's Bloodsport, the film starring Jean Claude Van Damme. Anyway, um, no, I I get it. Like I, I am kind of like. Bloodshot like, was 1992. Okay, that that also that that definitely makes sense. Yeah. I like I do I am someone who does like my I like my hyper violence like I am I am the person who says Punisher Warzone is one of the best comic comic book movies of all time because it actually just gets Punisher on a fundamental level. I am the person who says that Kevin Feige should throw Punisher in the oubliette under the castle in, castle in Disney World and never let anyone bring him out again. I agree with you. Uh, and, and I also agree with you that the only way we ever bring Frank Castle back is as Cosmic, Cosmic Ghost, Ghost Rider. And cast Woody Harrelson. I did say that. And that was a very good thing I said that I'd forgotten I said. Yes, because I, because like when you, when, when you said that, I was like, oh my God, like he's the only like new casting of like, like of Ghost Rider slash Frank Castle that I would accept because like. Nick Cage as Frank Castle, Cosmic Ghost Rider, would be very fun. It would, like... And if memory serves, I presented them both as options. You did, you did, you did. Uh, but M- Nicolas Cage would be a fantastic Frank Castle, Cosmic Ghost Rider, but I'm definitely, definitely here for Woody Harrelson. I'm like, you know, I'm excited for Venom Let There Be Carnage because, like, I like Andy Serkis, and I know that he, like, I he is a good director. He ma- he he has made good decisions to directorially. So you know, I'm 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 here for that. I am very interested in in just like giving like letting us fi- just have like a very goofy Venom movie after the last one. Uh, just like you know, it's like you know what people responded to the goofiness of that one, the unintended goofiness of that one. So let's just like do that. Yeah, and and people will probably enjoy it. Um, 
So I'm really interested in Woody Harrelson's Cletus Cassidy. Woody Harrelson is like the most perfect Cletus Cassidy casting I could think of, which is a hard sentence to make my mouth say. Um, the only other person, the only other person I can think of who I would buy as an equally perfect choice for Cletus Cassidy is, uh, Michael Rooker. Oh yeah. Especially if you're going to go for a, a, a slightly older. Yeah. Cletus Cassidy, I'm, I'm assuming in, when he, when he was introduced was probably like in his mid to late thirties. If that, I, I, I figured probably like late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, and also if you're gonna go that route, if you're gonna go like his like his original appearance and how you, if if you're going that younger, you could also arguably go with someone like Cable, Caleb Landry Jones. I'm smiling and nodding. I don't know who that is. Did you 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 saw Get Out right? Yes. Okay, the brother, the weird brother. Oh, okay, cool. Yep, yeah, sure. Here for that. Yeah, because he uh, I remember um Donny Cates uh in converse uh, Patrick Willems uh damn it invoked his name Patrick please come on the show. Um, he, he mentioned that when he was in conversation with Donny Cates at one point, uh, Cates mentioned that he thinks Caleb Landry Jones would, I would be either a great Joker or a great Malekith. Okay. And I'm thinking like, I could definitely see him as the Joker or Malekith. And now also, or as Cletus Cassidy, I could just see him as just a maniacal psychopath. Like I'm, I'm like... But then again, I've all, I've, I'm, I'm also like, I'm here saying the only way I ever want to see the Joker done again, live action is if they are cast by, if, if Janelle Monae is cast as the Joker. You know, I was going to say, I never want to see it, but then, then you proved me wrong. <laughs> Cause I am always so, okay. Okay. Well, we're, we're on this tangent when hey, they hey, announced, look, Hey, look, we we're we're, we're going to work this back to Harley. We know we are, so this is still on topic. When they announced Edward Cullen, uh, his real human name is Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. When they announced Robert Pattinson as the Batman, mm-hmm. my first thought, my first thought was, well, okay, now they have to get Kristen Stewart. To play the Joker. She would honestly be very interesting, but I am standing by Janelle Monet. My point here is the only Joker I want to see is basically Flashpoint Joker. Yeah. Or Punchline. Someone like Punchline. I mean, Alice on Batwoman brings this kind of energy. And look, I, I love a lot of the actors on the show. I think they're all doing a great job. But she is fucking magnetic. I haven't watched any of Batwoman. So I, I'm assuming the new season is currently ongoing. Oh, it's wrapped up already. They've oh, wow. Okay. Two. Uh, I am, I yeah. am behind. Most um, of the CW shows have finished up their second season or this season. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm assuming because of, of the recasting with season with the beginning of season two, like you could just enter into season two without having seen season one. Uh... Probably. I don't think it would be the worst way to watch the show. Because I do remember that a lot of people had some reservations about that first season. I mean, here's here's the thing. As someone who mostly enjoyed the first season, mostly. Little heavy on torture for my taste, but mostly. Mm. Um, 
the thing to bear in mind for season two is all of the all of the supporting cast from season one returns. And most of those characters are defined by their relationship to Kate Kane. Mm. Kate Kane's father, Kate Kane's ex-girlfriend, Kate Kane's stepsister, Kate Kane's cousin's business partner. Almost everyone on that show is in a place for most of the set for about half of the second season. That's really defined as somewhere between denial and acceptance and mourning and anger and all the stages of grief Mm -hmm. for where is Kate now? Is Kate alive? Can we save Kate? Is Kate dead? Do we need to move on? So I, I really like Javicia Leslie as uh, Ryan Wilder. I think she does a great job. I think she brings a lot to the show. But it takes a while. And, like, you could argue it takes the whole season for the show to kind of move past Kate. Okay. How many episodes in that first season? I don't know, 18-ish? Oh god, that's 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 what I'm always afraid of. Whenever like I want to catch up on a show, it's like oh, it's like oh, this show seems really interesting. I want to catch up on it for the for the upcoming season. How many episodes per season? Twenty. Why? Why well, so much? I mean, and here's the other thing: like Alice also steals every she every scene she's in in season one. What Alice just steals that this? show. I love god. Alice so much. You're you're kind of selling me on on going to to binge binge all of Batwoman now, and I'm very angry with you. Um, I already have to binge Doctor Who. The casting the casting director for Batwoman definitely earned their paycheck. Like that show is so well cast. Um, my one other my one other tangent while we're on it is I had an epiphany the other day. Uh. When seeing him on Colbert, Winston Duke would mm-hmm. be the perfect cable. Not cable, bishop. Winston Duke would be the perfect bishop. He would be fantastic. Especially after just rereading New X-Men. And mm-hmm. and that the the um the murder at murder at the X Mansion, uh or murder yeah, murder at murder at the mansion story with bishop and sage coming in as detectives i would love to see winston duke as bishop i am sending you a screenshot i took of him and the outfit that he's in is like the right color combination for bishop and like i'm a little bit i hope that black panther 2 uses him more because otherwise, I will be a little bit mad that he's already in the MCU and cannot be Bishop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, then again, like, I'm hoping this probably won't happen. But I'm hoping that, like, the X-Men will get to just kind of be off on their own. And also because, they, because as for Loki, we've established that the multiverse is a very real thing. That means you can have actors play multiple characters if they're up for it. I want the X-Men in the same world, though. I, I want them all part of continuity together. I want to see it. Like, that's just where I'm at, though. 
I get it, but also I, I still firmly believe that the X-Men work the best when they're off on their own. I know with the current Krakoa stuff, they, they like they have been every once in a while going off and interacting with other heroes, like in that first issue of House of X, Cyclops, you know, takes Sabretooth back to Krakoa from the Fantastic Four. There was the X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries dealing with uh with uh Franklin Richards and his relationship to his mutant dumb. Uh so I get it. At the same time, I'm very I'm kind of like on the I'm I'm really on the Connor Goldsmith side of, of this conversation where I do prefer the X-Men just like being off on their own, having their own adventures. I think that's a totally valid opinion, and there are certainly, I think, room for both kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. But at a macro level, like, I don't know, sometimes I want to see Wolverine and Spider-Man and Ben Grimm play poker together. Yeah, or like, you know, have that have a moment like that comic that I don't like, Civil War, where, you know, like, Tony Stark goes, to, you know, confronts Emma Frost and is like, hey, can you help us out with this? And Emma Frost is like, yeah, we just got genocided a few years ago, and where were you during that? So why would you think we're going to help you now? Yeah. Like, you know, have moments like that. And honestly, like, th- those type of moments, to me, symbolize why why the X-Men sometimes kind like kind of work best when they're on their own. It's like, because like if the Avengers or the Fantastic Four or anybody else can just come in and, and just help, it's like, you know, then, you know, what's going on here. Okay, but that's not a problem unique to the X-Men. No, no, you're right. It's not. It's not. Um, it's just that I just, I, I still believe that, like, because of the, mar- the, the metaphor of, of marginalized groups and, uh, and, uh, oh God, what am I thinking of? Shit. Um. Or like these, like like the the culture of marginalized groups works with the X Men that works best when they're kind of on their own. Maybe, maybe not. I you think know, and, there's I think there's room for both things. Yeah, I, and, and, that's, and you're right. That's my right. stance. I, I I think like I'm like with you, but I still lean more toward the the they should be on their well, own. I mean, and at a certain level, like every character in the MCU or any other shared universe whether it's movies, comics, whatever, like there's a reason solo series books and a reason why it's not just here is 100 page book from Marvel every week about what's going on. Everyone benefits from having their own space to Mm -hmm. develop as a character or as a team and to explore those group dynamics. I just think the bigger picture is more interesting when everyone's in it. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. Yeah. And that brings us back to Suicide Squad. A book with everyone in it. Because who's the bad guy? Who's pulling Locke's strings? As far as we know. Well, here's the thing. We So, I th- at first, when it's, when it's first revealed in issue six, it's issue six when it's revealed. Um, at, like, the, the literal, like, middle chapter of the book Mm -hmm. it's initially revealed as ted cord the second blue beetle can i tell a fun story about myself and how sometimes sometimes the maybe maybe the way i consume comics to record a podcast about them a couple of days after they all come out is not always the best way to read things please please do so so i read that issue and i'm like Mm -hmm. oh that's a really cool reveal 
And I go on to talk to my co-host, Brian, about that issue. And we're like, yeah, that reveal at the end. I can't believe it was Maxwell Lord. And Brian looks at me. He's like, you mean Ted Cord? Like, I would swear on a stack of, I don't know, Grant Morrison books that that was Max Lord. No, it was Ted Cord. I just didn't read the proper noun. I didn't read the names. And he was a smarmy douchebag in a suit. I assumed it was Maxwell Lord. He had big Maxwell Lord energy. It was yeah. Ted Cord. Except, except, and we're deep enough into the episode that we can that we can say this now. Uh, it's Scooby actually not Ted reveal. Cord. Not Ted Cord. It's actually Roman Sionis, Black Mask himself. Just old man Jenkins. <laughs> old man Jenkins trying to steal the island for the oil reserves underneath. No way. It's literally a Scooby-Doo reveal, and I could not love it more for that. <laughs> except, also, except the, the Deadshot then, reveal, too. Like, the way Deadshot revealed it was fantastic. That was fantastic. But then there's the moment after the reveal where one of the revolutionaries literally punches the smile off of Sionis' face. Yes, when they're on the plane, like, after, like, they, they've gotten to the plane... Wink, wink has been shot like and they're like on, so they're on their way to um i'm assuming that i'm not is the country that they that they go to real i'm I don't assuming think it's not so. okay so the country that's revealed which i'm assuming because since it's not being real i'm going to assume the pronunciation is like bagnasia i always read it as badnagia but you're more of an expert on these things than i am because well, you also like obsess over getting things Right, correct, well, well, the correct okay. pronunciation. Um, also, because of the period in which I live, was born and was a small child, and my love of Rocky and Bullwinkle, any kind of vaguely generic made-up country where there's political intrigue, I definitely pronounce its name as though it's part of the as though it's part of the former Soviet Union. Okay. Um. I was going I to assume this country was somewhere in, like, close to South America. Yeah, I mean, no, it's definitely an island nation in geographically nondescript place. Yeah. But there's a part of me that just, like, watched so much Rocky and Bullwinkle that I internalized any fictional location as, I don't know, generically formerly Soviet or Eastern European, even when that's not even the most remotely true. Yeah, I also I I, I kind of put it on the level of Corto Maltese. Yeah. Um, or Corto Maltese, as they say in the movie. But we're not talking about the movie here. We're talking I mean, about this wonderful comic. They've kind of got a racial ghoul, Razal ghoul thing. It really depends on who's saying it, how they pronounce it. It's Raish. Uh, it is Raish, <laughs> and I'm sure it's also Corto, Corto Maltese. Yeah, I would. I honestly, when you say that in in it that way, I would argue it's more of a Constantine Constantine thing. Because Rachel Ghoul is like that is like that is a that is what it is supposed to be. There, it's like it's either Rachel Ghoul or you're wrong. With Constantine Constantine, it's like either way, either way is fine. I mean, we're really getting into a form of linguistic semantics about whether or not you localize a pronunciation of a proper noun as it becomes normalized in the consciousness of the place you're from. And I just do not have the mental bandwidth to make any kind of coherent <laughs> argument on those lines. No, we're here. You are here to just talk about things blowing up. 
and many things explode. Uh, hey, um, we haven't spent much time about, I'm going to say, the best pre-established Suicide Squad character, Zebra Man. Zebra Man is pretty great. Zebra Man is great. Zebra Man benefits from, like, how little Zebra Man has to do or say. And really benefits from reading this whole book at once. Because you get this great arc that's like, Harley makes fun of him at the beginning for his name. He's like, I don't know. I, I didn't think about it. What, do you really just like zebras or something? <laughs> and then at the end, he's like, I do like zebras. I like zebras. I think they're cool. Yeah, because he, he's like about he to die say, and wants to clear his conscience. Yeah, he's just like, I love zebras. They're majestic animals. And I was like, they are. It's and great. Like he's willing I, to sacrifice himself. Um, there are also a couple of other characters we haven't touched on yet. And I know we're just talking about the characters in this thing, but they make the book. It's truly an ensemble cast. They really um, do. Zoe and Dogshot. Oh my Live God. Live shot and Dogshot. What is it? With Tom Taylor introducing dogs and them just being the the best characters in the comic. Now I'm going to pick a pick a pick a bone with you. I'm going to be pedantic in this one specific way. You're saying that Tom Taylor always introduces dogs. Is Jonathan the actual Wolverine erasure? And I will not stand for it. Well, here's the thing. I would know about I would know about this erasure. If I had actually read all new Wolverine yet, which I have not yet, um, but I will once I get that damn omnibus, which I will in due time. In fact, here, I'll make a declaration. So uh, currently, audience, we are recording this on August 19th. I will have this purchased by the final episode of Morrison Quest. I'm just going to make that declaration and if I, if you, if I am not held to that, if that doesn't happen, you can hound me on the internet every single day until I do get it. Your point in spirit, though, is well taken. Tom Taylor does like to introduce pets. And he likes, I am to, he likes to introduce animals that will just be the absolute best. I'm looking at you, Bitewing, whose actual name I forgot in Nightwing. Haley. Haley, right. After the circus. A thing which I'm pretty sure Dan Slot suggested on Twitter. Because they had like a Twitter poll for naming the dog. Yes, they did. Um, I can only think of one animal from the last 10 years who I think stands in the pantheon of Tom Taylor's animal introductions. Now, are we talking just Tom Taylor? Or are you talking about just in general? I'm talking in alongside? general. Tom oh. Taylor has introduced some of the greats of the last decade, but there is one in particular who I think has been introduced in the last 10 years. I know who you're going to uh, say. Who am I going to say? You're going to say bats. No. What? I love bats. What? I love bats, but... The thing about Tom Taylor's animals is none of them can speak. None of them takes the the, the place of human companion. They Bats all can speak. As animals. This is my point. They all function as, as animals. I'm talking specifically about animals who only get to function as normal, non-magical, non-sentient animals. Who is it? 
Grant Morrison's Bat Cow. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay, you're right. You're right. Bat Cow is the best. See, you thought I was going to betray you there by not saying bats. You didn't trust me. In this moment, you didn't trust me, and I will remember this forever, JD. I have trust issues, I'm sorry. That's fine. That's fair. You've earned that. And I'm just teasing. <laughs> uh, but no, here's the thing. So I, w- I want to briefly mention um, why another reason why I didn't come to this comic, be- you know, because of the whole Tom Taylor of it all. Because as I've mentioned before on this particular show, I used to not read Tom Taylor for two very specific reasons. One, because he wrote Injustice and I wanted nothing to do with Injustice and also he wrote Deceased, and and before I ever read Deceased, I made the judgment of, I probably will not like this. Well, of course, now, you know, I've, we've, we've talked about Deceased at length, all four books so far of this, of the Deceased universe. And you've dedicated so much time to Tom Taylor on this show that you have a specific correspondent. Yes, I, I have made I have made the declaration that anytime I decide to cover Tom Taylor, Alex is the one person I call, and I will and and also I'm going to say this I will delay an episode in order to have Alex on the on the episode. Like I will I will just I will like find another recording to do <laughs> if I can't get Alex in time. I will reschedule I will reschedule an entire season just to have Alex come on and talk about Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man in season 6. Yes, I've already revealed that that is happening. Alex in Time is the name of my ficti- uh, fictitious fictional autobiography in which I'm a time traveler. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um yep. <laughs> check it out in 2376 when it yeah. will finally release. Mhm. Um, but uh, the last book in human history, (laughs) but the reason why I didn't come to this initially also was, was, you know, not just the Tom Taylor part, but was specifically because it was Mark, like, because Bruno Redondo is the main artist, but, um, Sempare and uh, Sempare and Alberon are, you know, do pencil and ink respectively, uh, multiple issues in this series, but it is mostly a collaboration between Taylor and Redondo. And, they were like like Tom Taylor wrote the first half of the original Injustice comic with the other half written by Brian Buccioletto, and then Taylor went on to write everything else regarding Injustice. And Bruno Redondo worked quite a bit on that first Injustice run, and then also went on to draw the majority of Injustice 2 and work on other Injustice things. So this book was marketed as the people behind Injustice, and that immediately made me go. No, because I was at a time when I was just like, I don't want to read anything by someone who worked on Injustice. And of course, you know, my, my mind went like that. Everything about that went out the fucking window as soon as I started actually reading Taylor's work. And then I came to this and I was just like, oh, so this is like my favorite comic ever now. Meanwhile, my response was, Damn it, I have to read Suicide Squad? <laughs> I guess so, because Tom Taylor's writing. Yeah, because you were I mean, at a time where you're like, Tom, like anything Tom Taylor writes, I will follow. In, in, in the pantheon of comic book years, 
2020 will go down as the strangest for me. Not for the obvious reason, but because three of my favorite books in that year were Suicide Squad, Cable, and Venom. And I I don't recognize that person in me, <laughs> but all those books were so good last year. Yeah. I can't I can't I can't say anything about Cable because I am I like mean, I'm about Jerry a year. Jerry Duggan and Phil Noto. Jerry Duggan and Phil Noto. I'm about a year behind on 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 X on the X books. So there is that. Eventually, honestly, I think you know maybe 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 within like the next five or six months, I will get caught up. I will slowly, very slowly, get caught up. But I will probably get caught up eventually, um, because mostly because. Uh, Jerry Duggan, Teeny Howard, Vita Ayala, I'm here for all three of you, writing-wise. Art-wise, there are... I'm not on... I have not read anything by by Simon Spurrier yet. Jonathan Hickman. I mean, yeah, but I'm more here for Ayala, Duggan, and Howard. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, I love all of them. I love all of them. Yeah, mo- but but mostly Duggan because Mar- when I was reading X books, Marauders was my favorite. Marauders is excellent because uh, the w- just just the way Duggan was writing Kate Pride, I was just like, this is my favorite version of Kate Pride, and I'm kind of surprised. You know, it's weird how good Kate is when she is written by a writer who didn't spend their teenage years fetishizing her. You all know who we're talking about, and, and 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 yes, that is who we're talking about. And yes, they can go fuck themselves off, fuck off to the deepest parts of hell. It's Joss Whedon. I'm calling out Joss Whedon, and I'm doing it by name. Okay, yeah, honestly, I'm okay with that. You know, even though this is not your show, and you don't get to make those decisions, I'm okay with that decision. Well, you edit it. You can cut that out if you want. I mean, I could, but I, you know, at this point, no. Yeah, Joss Whedon, you fucking heard it. Go fuck yourself. Suicide Squad. Anyway, <laughs> Zoe and Dogshot are the best, is what we're saying. Zoe is so good and so like innocent. The, I I want to do what you do, but I don't want to do what you do and kill people. I so know. I'm calling oh my myself God. Live Shot. Yeah, and like then like the moment when like because uh, because it's it is revealed that both Harley and and Floyd were pardoned. But they never did. And essentially, they were just used as... In, like... They were essentially just used as, like, slave labor, in a way. That's that's how the book frames it. I believe I believe that's what Deadly Six set, tells them. is yes. like, you were just used as slave labor. Um, and then... So then Floyd was like, well, if that's the case, then I'm done. And I'm gonna go home to my daughter. Which, yeah. he, fu- he is fully ready to be rejected by mm-hmm. her. And... She and he's not. She immediately is. She immediately attaches him, attaches herself to him. Once she sees him, and like she reveals that like she has like she's taking archery lessons and is like and is getting really good at it, and calls her and like has her own costume and calls herself Live Shot and and so like she idolizes her dad, but she also sees the faults in what he and and in what he does. That she wants to be the better version of him. Yeah. After, after quote unquote Ted Cord sends people to their house to try to bring Floyd back in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Like which she then he leaves. Well, she I, leaves with them and the team. And there's a moment in there. Well, also, we can talk her, about her mother does as well. Also, because yeah. that that place is just compromised at this point. But like they're they're in the woods and Floyd and Harley are talking, and he hears this gunshot, and he goes and he sees he sees Zoe has shot these two birds, and he's like, "No, don't do this. You need to be better than me. Don't do this." And she's like. You're literally wearing guns and makes him promise not to kill anyone else. Yeah, he says, like, do not point and point out my hypocrisy when I'm wearing it. <laughs> and, like, it's this perfect sort of one step one, step two, step three gut punch. Because at the end, after Floyd has died, Harley goes back to their house and says, hey, Zoe, um, I need you to know that, like, he did this in part because he wanted you to live in a or he was going to give this up. Because he wanted you to live in a better world than he thought he lived in. Oh, and we also before and we get that back mirrors to back- that mirrors this moment when all the shits going down at the house initially, where she's about to be shot by the FBI or someone pretending to be the FBI, and Wink blinks in, teleports her back up into the air with the airy, and so he's like, "Who are you? We're your father's friends." He has friends? Well, I don't think he knows it yet, but he might have just figured it out. It's like, Mm -hmm. my heart. Also, my heart broke when after Floyd's death and Harley's cradling his lifeless body and they're all like, we have to go fight. And she's like, I'm I'm like, we get that one panel of Harley putting on his dead shot mask and Mm -hmm. and just murdering people with his mask on. And just like, yeah. That that yeah. tracks, and also we get that beautiful moment right there at the end, when in that conversation between Harley and Zoe, Harley is like, Zoe's like, so you're gonna leave now? Harley's like, no, you like, I'm a like, I am a psychiatrist. You just lost your dad. We're gonna like, I'm gonna be here for you. I will tell you some heavily censored stories about your father. You don't have to leave anything out. No, I really, really I do. I really do. Yeah. Um. Again, his his code name is Deadshot. So, uh, yeah, heavily censored stories are going to tell this child. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Jog. <laughs> deep, deep spoilers for Jog. Oh, my I God. I was thinking not... about this last night when I reread it, and I was just thinking about the final issue reveal of Jog's parentage. That's what I wanted to talk about. When, I was, when this book was coming out month to month... I was so not prepared for this backstory, and I love it so much because it doesn't feel like a to- like just like a token back like twist. It feel it like it actually feels right because like it's not like it's some speedster that we've never heard of or like a well established speedster that doesn't make sense. Like having Death the Black Racer be Jog's absent father. And then he returns to, like, tell Jog that he's actually, like, half god and he's going to return with him. And Jog's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go save my friends. Yeah. that's That was such a perfect little, perfect little moment. Well, and it was great, too, because so much of the buildup and conversation on social media around this book was how, like, it wanted, Taylor wanted to be really intentional and meaningful with death. He promised that, like, yeah, there will be big characters who die. And, like, no one really believed that Floyd would actually die and stay dead. And Taylor was, like, from the get-go, as soon as that cover with, with Harley holding his mask was, was revealed, he's like, yeah, this is this is real. It's true. It's going to happen. 
Deadshot will do. Like, this was spoiled up front. Everyone thought it was going to be a twist, and then it wasn't. And I kind of love that, like, knowing how social media will react to kind of lever gain leverage on on that emotional beat like no one's no one's gonna buy that anyone will stay dead in the suicide squad so when it happens it means something Mm -hmm. but the other side of that is because everyone who has died in this run has stayed dead when jog comes back like it feels like such a victory yeah because his death felt was just like was like the most of a gut punch, honestly, because most because most of our character that's happened in that first issue outside of King Shark, who dies in issue three and gets what he deserves. Yes, because look, King Shark in the movie is lovable and adorable, and I will never want him to die. King Shark in this comic absolutely f- got what he fucking deserved. Yep. You, it's like you do not just murder someone's brother right in front of them. Go fuck yourself, King Shark. You got what you got what you got. And that's, and that's that. But Jogs was the death that just was like, that one came and was just like, oh, wow, that one I did not expect. Because, you know, it's like those first issue deaths, like, yes, we knew people were going to die right up, right up front to kind of get us acclimated to the environment and get, and give us who, and like, give us like the full team of who, of, uh, um, give us our full team. Um, the King Shark death again, Gaudi deserved that. That was like you know just him getting his just desserts. Floyd's death later in that was issue. That was the end. Technically, the end of issue nine, correct? Or no issue yeah. issue? Yeah. 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 So and because then it was issue ten where like they were like they all see it for like for real and and are like right you know dealing with it. Even, um, even like, I mean, it was another early one, but a good example of like the way the early ones even could feel earned. TNT had been in the scene with Osita earlier on where they were talking about disarming a single nuclear bomb is just one, one less bomb that can yeah. be used. And he has this great line when Locke blows up his head right before right before the bomb explodes while you kind of get the like high-pitched buzz as it arms. The looking to Asita and say, it's one fewer bomb. Oh. Because that... he's never been comfortable with his powers. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's like, it's such a bittersweet moment right there with, with, with his death. And, and it's like, it's, you know, that one, that one works. So then... But right, like I said, like with Floyd's death, like that one was like that was like a big death that we I felt like we were really leading up to, and that was I felt like that was like the major death of this book because he was a he was he's a character that has been around for decades. I mean, he was introduced as like a one note character originally, and then you know he got an updated costume and became you know slightly more well known, but was still kind of relegated to like B list C list characters. Well, and he has he has agency in his death because at any moment he could have just pulled out a gun and shot the fake superman and survived but because he was trying to be better and do better than that that was the one play that was available to him Mm -hmm. so that's why jog's death is, is to me is like is honestly the most shocking in this book because that is the one that I honestly felt that just 
I did not see coming whatsoever. I knew that I knew that like a big character was going to die in this book. I knew that several characters were going to die in that first issue. Jog was not someone I was prepared for to leave us. So when we do get the reveal at the beginning of the final issue, you know, with him, that, you know, he's half God, therefore he is still alive and he gets to have the final save with Zebra Man. It was great. Yeah. And also like him and the, and also after uh, Lola blows up and he comes back and he's like, Hey, so I've been gone a while. So like, should I go back and grab her? Yes. Got it. Cool. Like I mean, the chemistry between every character well, is just the, the best. Sense of, the sense of humor that drives all of it, right? Like as bleak as a suicide squad book just existentially is same, same thing as deceased, right? Like there is an undercurrent of humor that makes the serious moments actually feel important mm-hmm. because they still feel like an exception tonally. I I mean, the one-two of Wink stealing the Batmobile and then a few issues later, someone acknowledging it in front of the Justice League. In the Superman final issue. Being, and Superman being like, someone stole your Batmobile. And Batman's like, it is not about the car getting stolen. <laughs> it's so good and also like in also in that moment of like they have like they have black mask tied up and the justice league shows up and or and like green arrow shoots an arrow and he's like all right everyone guns down you no know, step away from him and then harley shoots him and shoots black mask in the leg and green arrow's like Ser- okay seriously why like and it's like we I put like, we it need down to- yeah, put him down. And then Osita shoots him in the other leg, and she's like, he doesn't need doesn't need to walk in order to talk. I'm like, this is Do you want me to call you an Uber? Do you want me to call you, call you an, an ambulance? ambulance? That was great. And then just Floyd just like, good talk! And just walks away. With the puppy. With the puppy. With the puppy. And then brings Zoe, and yeah, and then brings Zoe, her best friend. Uh, There's also just like, honestly, like, you, like, you wouldn't think like in this book with this large cast of characters that uh that everyone would have like a moment to shine except no this is tom taylor so that th- therefore everyone gets a moment to shine yeah. even someone like deadly six who's honestly like like the character who is the least developed or like he and- i think deadly six has the coolest power but yes. usually only gets to be there to be like this moment of power Yes, but like one of my, but like he does get some great character moments. He is like he is the one who reveals to Harley and Floyd that they were pardoned and they were used as slave labor. You know, he he is the one who 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 he's the last one to say goodbye to Harley before she goes to see Zoe. You know, telling her like you know I wish you could be here, but you know I understand what you're doing. We'll post everything in the group chat. Great little line. My my favorite deadly six moment. After they've saved the day and they're like, no, there's so much more to do. We have to move on. He's like, just enjoy it and activates pride. Yes, that was great. And also, like, it was kind of a twofer because we also have multiple queer characters in this book, too. Yep. Um, before we get to that, I also want to mention my favorite Deadly Six moment, which is actually pretty early on. It's an issue, I believe, three when they when they initially go to the when they initially enter the country of Badnesia and... 
like Deadly is, is like uh, Harley asks him why his name is Deadly Sick. And he's like, I can activate six of the Deadly Sins. She's like, but there are seven. He's like, yeah, but activating luck, lust is just icky. Mm-hmm. It's great. But anyway, um, because this is also a Tom Taylor book, you know we have multiple queer characters. Yep. So we've already mentioned we can we can wink and the eerie who we already talked about and deceased who are my absolute favorites they are my babies I will die for them anyone who comes for them can catch these fucking hands um, <laughs> but also Osita is gay um, and like the and one of the reasons why she nearly murders Captain Boomerang is because uh, it, her ba- her backstory that is revealed is that she underwent. Uh, she, I, I'm assuming she worked for the U S government, uh, as a, mil- as a military officer in some fashion. And, uh, she was a part of an experimental process in which she was just made. She kind of, she went the captain America route, essentially mm-hmm. was given, uh, was given like a super soldier type serum and only two survived her and someone else. And those two, and the two of them eventually got married. And after serving their time, they eventually, kind of just like like got to just like live in a, like go off and just have a nice life together and eventually they got called upon by the government by the US government to essentially escort the suicide squad on a mission at some point and uh Captain Boomerang one of Captain Boomerang's boomerangs uh goes off course and Cuts off Osita's half of Osita's arm and kills her wife. And th- and this led Osita on the path of I need to I I need to find others who have been hurt by this extreme oversight. To put it lightly, mm-hmm. and start a revolution, and that's essentially what she does. Is like she is like she can't even bury her wife. She has to put her in a refrigerator because the government believes that what they put in the two of them, they own. Therefore they can do whatever they want with her body, which is disgusting. Yeah. So Osita then makes it her life's mission to seek out others who have been hurt by the actions of Task Force X, the Suicide Squad, as sanctioned by the U.S. government, and band together and change the system. And they get pretty fucking far in this book. Yeah. So, how long is it going to be before we get a revolutionary series? Yeah, Tom Taylor. I I need the revolutionaries to return. I honestly we're going to get one. I know we are. Could because he, like Tom T- you can tell every every character moment, every line of dialogue, every page, you can tell Tom like Tom Taylor like just relished creating these characters and getting to to develop them and getting to introduce them to the world. So you and because we've already gotten a version like another version of Wink and the Eerie in the deceased universe, you mm-hmm. know, you know oh, yeah. that they have to come back. Well, and there's so much more room for them to to be explored, right? Like there's the whole Zoe as live shot of it all. Mhm. 
there is, okay, now that Jog is, like, fully a god and can't just do short burst runs and can just do full speedster stuff, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we get to have more Deadly Six. Yep. And develop him more. Also, we can develop Chaos Kitten and Thylacine more because along with Deadly Six, they are also the other two characters that, like, like not developed as much as the others because they're not really like the big leads. They, yeah. they still have great character moments. Um, some of my, like one of my favorites, it, especially between the two of them, the two of them like are just like the cool side, best friends. Yeah. And they have the great moment of storming the Capitol at the, at the end of the final issue. And like, they get to wear like they take down two secret service agents and wear their suits. Black. Oh my God. And they look, incredible and of course chaos kitten is like no i'm keeping my beanie on yeah because it's great and then like and then like they 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 knock out like thylacine knocks out a senator and she's like so you have the next bit she's like yeah like you don't like i had a life before this of course i know how to drag an unconscious body secretly out of a building (laughs) yeah i so i believe tom taylor when he said that these 11 issues he always wrote as a single story Mm mm-hmm I have trouble believing, and I don't think anyone's ever said this explicitly either, which is why why I don't believe it's the case. I have trouble believing that this was only going to be 11 issues if it sold well, and I think it sold pretty well. Mm-hmm. But I think because of the timing, this wrapped up in November, I believe, of 2020. We had Future State in January and February of 2021 leading into Infinite Frontier in March, which we're still in. I feel like whatever that next step was going to be probably got put on hold by the continuity shift. Yeah. But I've got to imagine, like, in the same way that there's not an Arthur Curry Aquaman book, and there's not uh, Young Justice, and there's not... But Legion we do know that Young heroes. Justice is coming back at some point. Bendis has said that. And Bendis has also said that Legion of Superheroes is coming back. All of this is to say, like, there are so many books that, like, maybe we don't get another Arthur Quir- Arthur Curry Aquaman because we, we get, uh, uh, oh, shoot. Um, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, Jackson Hyde. Because we get Jackson Hyde and Andy Curry instead. Like, we've kind of had that teased in Future State. But in general, like, I think there are a lot of books that are kind of taking a little bit of a break for a while while the universe sort of settles down after an anti-crisis. And then we'll start to see more of these kinds of books come back. Yeah, and also Tom Taylor, he's got a lot on his plate right now. He does. I he's mean, got two. He's got two DC ongoings. He's got Dark Ages at Marvel. He's got. He's about to have his Dark Knights of Steel also at DC. He's got Seven Secrets and the Deep. He's working on. He he's got a lot, and he's still yeah. like he still has. A, he's about to wrap up Batman the Detective. So yeah, he's he's got yeah. a lot going on, and also he's talked about more deceased as well. So yeah, I mean. There's no rush, but like I do, I do need them back. I do I'm, need more of them. I'm assuming that I, I'm hoping that like next year will be like the year of deceased and the revolutionaries. Yeah. Uh, hey, before we before we totally lose it, uh, and I forget, I want to talk about the unsung hero of this series, at least so far unsung by us. 
And that is Adriano Lucas, who colors this book. Yes. And I, 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 I want to call, call him out for two reasons. One, I think any time where a book shifts art teams, having a really strong colorist who is recognizable in their own right, stylistically, is a really strong unifying factor. This book's a great example of it. I would also point at the Brian Azzarello Cliff Chang Wonder Woman, uh, where Matthew Wilson colored that book, and anytime there was a guest artist like Gordon Sudska, uh, like having that that strong Matthew Wilson style kept that book looking like it was the same book, regardless of who drew it. I also wanted I think- to mention Matthew Wilson for a different book, and I was going to say Thor. Uh, yep. Because Nick Klein has been the artist on that book the whole time, uh, except for the 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 most recent issue because the new arc has, has a different artist. But also the two issues in between the Devourer King and Prey were drawn by Aaron Cooter, but Wilson stayed on as the colorist, and it still like felt in keeping with what was going on. Yeah, and I think Adriano Lucas does that here as well. Absolutely. Um. I think Adriano Lucas works well with Redondo and uh, Sam Perry, which right now Nightwing, which is don- drawn by Adriano Lucas, is colored by, I'm sorry, is drawn by Bruno Redondo, is colored by Adriano Lucas, and Action Comics, which is penciled by uh, Daniel Samperi, is colored by Adriano Lucas. Um, so like I think these are creative teams that play well together. Also, the but... the lettering is fantastic as well. Shout out to Wes Abbott. Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. Yes. But like you also recognize, you also can recognize Adriano Lucas. Like just at sight, you there are a few colorists out there who like you you know them. You know them when you see them. Mm-hmm. For me, like. Matthew Wilson is one. Tamara Bonvillain is one. Dean White. Jordi Belair. Jordi Dave Belair. Stewart. Dave Stewart. Um, but Adriano Lucas is another one who, like, especially when you get, like, a really vivid, like, the sun over the ocean. I feel like that's something that artists he works with does a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's something that Samperi does in action. Also, and the like, way he colors fire is great as well. Yeah. There was that wonderful issue, like, where, or unfortunately, entire, like, just shantytown, essentially, uh, was burned down in an issue of Nightwing. And, yeah. you know, on un- un- the events of the-, the event itself, unfortunate, but it looked fantastic. Well, and that's just it. My favorite colorists, and this is, this is getting into personal preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will preface this with, I have been doing work in theater for 23 years. I started, even though I mostly stage manage and direct now, I started in lighting design. I did like a solid 15 years in lighting design before I really moved on to more of other things. Good coloring, or at least my favorite coloring, is coloring that has a strong sense of light. That gets where light sources come from, that is conscious of how light looks and interacts with sort of materials in space, Mm -hmm. and that can kind of, like, make a thing glow. Uh, You want to talk about Jordi Belair, uh, or, no, I'm sorry. You want to talk about Tamara Bonvillain on Once Once in Future? Future? (laughs) 
See, you knew where I was going before I even said it. Because it looks incredible. I mean, in a very specific and real sense, uh, the the thing that was the like real catalyst for my wanting to read single issue comics and not just pick up trades was in the early days of comiXology, like in the first six months of the first iPad being out. Mm-hmm. They used to put up like pretty new issues of things for free as a teaser to kind of get you hooked. Yeah. And the first issue of Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force was one of those books. And like I had grown up going to the grocery store with my mother and like I would sit on the magazine aisle and flip through comics. I never bought any. I think once I bought a couple of issues of a Pinky and the Brain comic, but we just, we didn't have the money for comics when I was little. Um, And like, I don't know, even as a little kid in the 90s, the excess of the 90s and like, I remember Wolverine covers and Batman covers and being like, I'm, I'm not comfortable with just this whole aesthetic. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. Unrealistic. and... And I don't. I don't know where the hair starts and the chains stop. <laughs> Harry Chains, the, the the 90s. Harry Chains sounds like the name of a 90s character. Oh, God, it really is. Created by Rob Liefeld. <laughs> um, it's canon but, on the show that we don't like Rob Liefeld. That's cool. It's it's canon on panelology, too. Yeah. Like, look, um, Rob Liefeld, he brought certain characters into existence that we still love to this day, including Deadpool. Of Outside of that? But you know what? You know what? How much was Liefeld? How much was Fabian Nicenza? I know what Liefeld says, so I assume the opposite is true. Yes. Um, I agree. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh... Uncanny X-Force, number one. I had never until that moment, and I know this is not the first book to do it, and I know that there's a function of, like, technology and printing cost and affordability and high-definition printers and the coding that handles ink and how well ink prints. Like, all these factors. I understand it was a function of technology. Mm-hmm. But seeing Dean White's colors in that first issue and seeing, like this eerie green light glow off of this underground pool as Deadpool's infiltrating clan Akaba to realize that they are trying to raise apocalypse from the dead. Like the coloring and sense of light in that book was the reason why I was like, Oh, I should actually pay attention to comics. So when I say like, colorists who get a sense of light are the ones who do it for me i would not be here if those colorists did not exist and there you have it adrian lucas is the best that's titan among titans yes and and that also gets into like what of what i i love like so this is kind of interesting in that, like, Suicide Squad Bad Blood is, like, we're here on the long haul. And it's funny that, like, I, you know, like, I'm kind of on the fence of how I recommend, like, of course, I will all day, every day recommend this comic to someone. Absolutely oh, 100%. I've got it. I have it. I have it. Do you want it? Do you want it, JD? Please. If you are a fan of Gail Simone's Secret Six, pick up this book. 
I should probably read Gil Simone's Secret Six. I'm sorry! It's fine. I'm no, no, I'm the last person to judge people for not reading not reading things. Like I have only got like it was you just for, a, for I got like into a solid three seconds you had this look of like just disappointment. <laughs> no, it was it was it was not disappointment. I mean this was a book that is a book that only kind of intermittently gets its trades reprinted. It was, I think, in a period in time before like when comics were kind of at their most difficult to get into before DC and Marvel started like occasionally renumbering at number ones and making things feel accessible when every book was a three digit issue number. Um, this was this sort of like found family anti-hero book uh, with sort of this revolving cast as characters came and went or died or whatever. Uh it's before I started reading comics monthly and I haven't gone back and consumed as much pre 2011 as I probably should. But this is one of those books I did seek out on its reputation. And because it splits that it splits those uprights of being like a book about villains, but also a very human book with a sense of humor. Um, which also has Deadshot and Bane and, uh uh rat catcher. marionette rat catcher yeah like it's got a lot of weird and fun like d-list characters um bane is very smooth bane is like as smooth as tarzan it's strange um <laughs> i don't imagine bane being a smooth boy but he is but that's that's probably the next closest thing I could compare it to. So if you know Secret Six, and if you like Secret Six, like this is a super easy recommendation for me. Yeah. I mean, no. even if you don't, it's still a super easy recommendation for me. Yeah. No, what I meant really was was that like I think it's funny that I have this here on the long haul when like this is definitely like this is when I say like I don't know how to recommend this, it's more of like I'm not sure if I should recommend this as someone's first comic, but it's definitely within, like, the first five comics I would recommend. Like, yeah, this I... would be, like, if someone asked me, like, give me five comics to, to start reading, I would hand them, this would be one of the five comics I would hand them. It'd be like, this, like, read this, like, after something else. Like, read, like, one or two and then get to this one. Yeah, I, hmm, that's a good question. I think for me... I don't know if this would be in, like, the first wave of things I hand someone. Or maybe, only because, maybe first 10 to 15, at least. Only because I think there are moments that, like, will will have a bigger impact if you know the world of DC Comics a little better. Right, Like yeah. the Ted Cord reveal. Like the, the Black Mask twist. Like... And even then, like, I'm not... I'm not really attached to Ted Cord. Like I have, in fact, I've never read a comic with Ted Cord being a character. Like my, like in fact, my connection to Ted Cord solely relies on his relationship to Booster Gold in 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 like one to two things. But also, uh, his one his one appearance in Batman: The Brave and the Bold. Yeah. When I mean, we that's... when we when we're introduced to him as like he's sup supposedly the the creator of the Blue Beetle technology that Jaime Reyes has when in reality he he isn't. It was an alien. It's an alien technology. 
Yeah. But that, like, I have no connection to Ted Cord, but I know who Ted Cord is. And I know and where he thing, comes from. I think, from. like, it helps if you know who he is. I will also say, I just, I don't normally pick on stuff like this, but this one, because of my love of this book, ruffled my feathers a little bit. So there's a new blue and gold book coming out right, right now. Right, and you've talked from about... From Dan Jurgens. You've talked about not being a and big fan of this. It is, it is not for me. But there is a moment in it that just from an editorial level is inexplicable to me. When Ted Cord is standing at his dead father's grave and apologizes for all the terrible things he did in Suicide Squad. And there's an editorial note like, see, Suicide Squad, bad blood. And I'm like... That wasn't him. Did this writer or editor read the last three issues of that book? And, re- and realize that like Ted Cord had nothing to do with that? Clearly no one working on this book that starts with like Ted Cord in this really down place because of that actually read all the way to the end. Yeah, that's weird and unfortunate. It is like, it's rare that there's that big of a whiff, like in continuity and editorial in DC, but boy, howdy, that one was weird. Mm-hmm. It almost um, feels like it's, it's suicide. It's almost feels like bad blood erasure and I don't like it. Yeah, no. Um, in the same way that I would not let Greg Rucka erase Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang's Wonder Woman, I will not let anybody erase Suicide Squad Bad Blood. Absolutely, because like yeah, this is this is just such a fun comic that does have the just like absolute insane violence going into it. I mean you have people getting their heads punk punched clear off. You have you have that really wonderful moment where you don't see Locke's head blow up, but you see Deadshot shooting him in the head and his head being covered by the authority, by the DC Comics, like like the yeah. Comics Code Authority logo right there on the head, which was such a great moment. Um, but what's great is that this is just an empathy machine. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love comics like these where they just, they really do kind of just have everything i love and more where it's like you do like you have the gigantic violence you have you have the you have the quippy you have like the great dialogue the great interplay between characters the great chemistry you have the book looking absolutely fantastic on just a style and and on a and like just on a style level but you also have the empathy you have the characters just being human and just being themselves and just caring for each other because of who they are. There is a reason why Tom Taylor is currently writing Nightwing and Superman. Yeah. Because empathy. Yeah. Because yeah. And like there was that moment. Um, I, I'm assuming it was in the, the, the most recent, the, the issue I didn't read, uh, of Nightwing, but there's, there's a moment between Dick and Superman have a conversation. He talks about how, like, I took my name from you. I learned a lot from you. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, just, you know, caring about people. I think that was like a Nightwing annual in 2016. Really? It looked like it was a ta- it, was, it was from the most recent run. Unless it's this week's issue. It might be. I Because uh, I'm also, I'm behind. I, I still have this week's, which I haven't gone to the shop yet. Um... 
and also the last issue that I yeah. picked up. But I I haven't read this week's yet, but I know that there was a moment like that. And again, I'm pretty sure it was like Nightwing annual number one from 2016 from the Rebirth run. Okay. It just, I, I looked, it looked like Bruno Redondo's art and uh, the, I, who was the letterer working on Nightwing right now? Whoever that is, it looked like their lettering because I recognized the lettering from, from previous issues. Ah, here it is. It is from, it is from this week's issue. It was a, it was a tweet from, uh, from just Chen, the editor. Gotcha. And it's, it's a line. It's uh, so, uh, Dick Grayson speaking to Superman. He says, I have an idea. You gave me my name, Nightwing, and you've given me some of the best advice I've received in my life. I thought you might have a unique perspective. Superman replies with being an alien to which Dick says being one of the most human people I know. And that's Tom Taylor. Like that's, that's what he does. That's like, he just, he just understands these characters on, on, on a, on a, on a basic level of, just tr- just treat them cr- just treat them right and and make sure that they that you 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 write them with with empathy in mind and now i want to talk about how much uh tom taylor shits on batman in this book because <laughs> uh, yeah. it's a lot and it's hilarious <laughs> cuz like the first, I, I would say the first moment we get of that is like i love that harley like like multiple times said like says like like the first moment is like um like thylacine and and chaos kitten like disappear for a second and she's like oh man they batmaned <laughs> it's just like because and i love that little shorthand you get of like we is like we know exactly what that means and then later we get to issue seven where you know the revolutionaries the, or the suicide squad actually um is now like out they they've been freed. They're getting their bombs taken out in this issue, and but they're in Gotham, and uh, you know, in 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 this issue, like they they confront Batman, and and like after like the the, the others have left, and Floyd is like distract is like distracting Batman by shooting him, shooting at him a lot. He points out like the moment he's like he's like you know I could have shot that stupid part of your that stupid part of your face when it's not covered. By your by your bulletproof <laughs> costume, I could have put a bullet in your sanctimonious mouth, and then you know, like, you know, Batman talks about Floyd's daughter. He's like, "Wait a minute, who are you to t- talk to me about parenting? Like, 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 why? Who are you tell- talking to me about putting children in dangerous situations? Have you met any of your Robins?" <laughs> and just that that close up on Batman's face of like, "Shit, he has a point." <laughs> and then and then we we continue with that of like much much later in the penultimate issue uh Finn who has the ability to who has um 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 not telekinesis shit what am I what's the he has the ability to read minds um and he's reading I have finally found the issue I was thinking of Okay <laughs> It was Nightwing number 9 from the 2016 Rebirth run Ah okay. It was not an annual but it was the issue dealing with Nightwing meeting the sort of merged version of pre and post Flashpoint Superman. Yeah, who wrote that issue? Who who's writing the Rebirth Run at that point? Tim Seeley. Right. Yeah. I actually really dug that run. Uh, he introduced a romantic interest for Nightwing, who I liked a lot. Yeah. He, um, did he leave after? Um, 
Or I want to say he did about 18 issues or so, maybe 24. Really? That's it? I thought he was on there for much longer. I don't think so. Because didn't Dan, I feel like... Jur- Dan Jurgens took over at one point, didn't he? Jurgens took over around the time that uh, Tom King had KG Beast shoot Dick Grayson in the head, I'm guessing at Dan, De- Dan DiDio's behest. And Dick Grayson got amnesia and became Rick Grayson. Oh. Cool. Yeah. Jurgens may have already been on at that point, but I feel like that's about when he came on. Okay. Um I think I think there was someone between Jurgens and Seely. Okay. Anyway, back to what I was what, where, where was I at this point in the in, in my in my weird rambling? Um Robins. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he says that about the Robins and then um so Finn has like Finn has tel- telepathy and he's reading Ted Cord's mind and re- and like finds out that he's Blue Beetle but doesn't say and he just says like oh yeah like he's he still dresses like all the other shitty billionaires but he wears another uniform and Harley like straight up says like oh, is he Batman and it's like no he's not Batman like like you'd have to be crazy to like to operate in Gotham City so she's like oh yeah you'd have to be really fucked up. <laughs> and then like the I, I like the the final dig at Batman is comes from we haven't even talked about this yet jeez because there's so much to talk about here but what we haven't even gotten to is that it's revealed that the the first like actual mission of this suicide squad uh which is set up in issue 2 um that Lock Lock wants them to infiltrate the country of Badnesia which we've talked about multiple times already um, to assassinate the current the current president and then instate the elected president, which should it should be noted, it is mentioned uh, that the U.S. government rigged the election to because they have a vested interest in the in wanting to get the oil that is beneath the country. But it's also revealed later that if they extract that oil, the country will just sink into the into the ocean. So the president, because of global warming from burning the oil, exactly. Uh, so that's why they rigged the election because the current president's like, uh, fuck no, I want my people to be safe and my country to be safe. Um, and it's revealed that that president, uh, President Mishra, is the Eerie's mother. Yep. So they fake her assassination. And by the end of the series, the country is safe. Um, it's revealed that Lola, who was Javier TNT's sister, did not die. And she's actually still alive because uh, it was revealed that she was uh, taken by Amanda Waller to be a part of a suicide squad at some point. Um, so her her um, her fate was kind of left up in the air. Um, but it was kind of like insinuated that there was a possibility she died. Um, but it's revealed that she was she was alive and she was being kept under she was being kept by Black Mask, like under Bell Rev. Amanda Waller refers to like the the big gun under under the the facility. Yeah, like, and uh, and then he, and then because he takes over Task Force X, therefore also taking over, um, taking over Bell Rev, he. Then all he then like acquire he then like gets Lola and then takes her to be to put on Badnesia and then just blow up the island. Yeah, because he just like keeps her in a, in a state where she can't blow up and just like builds up energy over so much energy over time. 
Um, but you know, now like the country is safe. Lola is safe. Mishra and president Mishra is put, is reinstated, is like revealed to still be alive and put back in power. And she lays into Batman, like telling him like, maybe, um, like maybe American heroes can like stay, like stay in their country and take and clean up their own house. And says that directly to Batman. I mean, so much of the revolutionary central thesis is the Justice League is still maintaining the status quo, which makes them basically just the Suicide Squad in daylight. Yeah, they say that exact line. It's like they just do the suicide. They just it's just the Suicide Squad in daylight without the murder. Which is fascinating because if you're reading Superman and the Authority right now, like. That idea comes back in that book. I gotta get to it, because, man, I f- you f- everyone knows me. I fucking love Grant Morrison, and I'm behind on comics, and I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say that is one of the comics I'm behind on. I will get to it. Yes. That first issue is incredible. I haven't read number two yet. I haven't read any of this week's books yet. Yeah, I will. In fact, I, most likely, once we get done recording, before I have to edit... I will probably read those two issues because I'm just like buzzing with excitement. Yeah. I can't wait to read. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to it. Um, but yeah, I, I love that. I love that Tom here. Here's in fact, so we've talked a lot about already how much Tom Taylor just like digs at Batman. And we, you know, the first time we talked about Tom Taylor was, uh, was the annual father's day, which is a Batman story. And it's like, it is, but it's not really a story about Batman. It was a story about Alfred and the Al- and the love that Alfred and Bruce have for each other. Especially the love that Alfred has for Bruce and and how much mm-hmm. of a father he he was to Bruce. But also we've talked about how much that like Tom Taylor just loves having characters point out uh how how just weird Batman is. Like it mm-hmm. pops up in Nightwing when Dick Grayson talks about how that he feels that 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 Batman could be doing more as Bruce Wayne with all the wealth he has. It's brought up here in Suicide Squad, you know, and and like we get that moment in in DC's Dead Planet between um, Donna Summers and Damian Wayne, where uh, she says like it's you know it's like you know a, a an emotionally available Batman is really is really sexy. Donna. Wait, did I say? Did I get the wrong wrong person? You said Donna Summers, who is a recording artist. <laughs> who was I supposed to say? You mean Wonder Girl, right? Yeah, that's Cassie Sandsmark. Good lord! <laughs> I think you got Donna from Donna Troy, a different Wonder Girl, <laughs> and the first letter of Sandsmark. <laughs> And the funny thing is, I haven't listened to Donna Summers in years. Um, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's also some timeline where Scott and Jean have a child named Donna. I mean, there's possible there are like 11 billion timelines in X-Men continuity. And there are a whole lot of Summers children in every one of them. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I meant Cassie Sandsmark and Damien because in that book it's established they become Batman and Wonder Woman and they also become a couple, therefore validating my my wish for a Batman Wonder Woman pairing because as I've mentioned multiple times, the only the only currently alive 
cis male cis man that that I believe Wonder Woman works in a relationship with is Bruce Wayne who if I remember correctly is still with Selena Kyle uh they're on a break okay but still that you know it's like you know there there's there's still the 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 likely chance they will get back together therefore you know like yeah, it just it just to me it doesn't it, it doesn't work I mean, if, if it's not Bruce. It, 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 when it comes to cis men, it doesn't work if it's not Bruce or Steve Trevor. I am one of the weirdos who enjoyed the Superman Wonder Woman relationship book in the New Fifty Two. I was actually here for that. Um, I think that was Charles Soul. It was. I feel like in my world. There is a place, a place for Wonder Woman to date a cishet dude who is like a non-toxic pastry chef or a cellist or something like, like someone who lives in this more artistic world who has nothing to do with fighting or combat or the military, who definitely isn't Steve Trevor, but who's just like a regular kind of artsy dude existing in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Not as a self-insert. I would not be good for, for Wonder Woman. <laughs> no. Um, thank you for agreeing so quickly, I think. Um, You're welcome. Hey, look, we are both and we are both in that same in like the, in that same category. And I would also not I would also not do the, the yeah. self-insert thing as well. Yeah. But like someone who's at the top of his game in a creative field and who does not care about heroics, but who like respects what she does. And it's just someone she comes home to. And like, occasionally she has, basically I'm describing a dude version of Mary Jane Watson. Yeah. Which is also like, look, I like the pastry chef idea. Just like introduce a pastry, a pastry chef into her life. Yeah. Like he's got great bonds. In more ways than one, we know we we like we all know that Wonder Woman appreciates great buns. I mean, but if that's the statement you're gonna you're gonna make, you've got to ask. Okay, what about Wonder Woman and Dick Grayson? No, <laughs> I agree with you. I don't know why, but the answer is still no. yeah. It's like I can't exactly put because like I can't say because he's because he's too young because like. Everyone is too young for one for for Diana. Yeah, she's been around for hundred for for hundreds of years. Um, it's just he's still too young. Yeah. Well, I also think there is a part of him who like a good partner for him doesn't let him totally take like expects him to be responsible, but does not let him take the the whole weight of the world on his shoulders. Like, someone who is a realist and practical is like, no, Dick, accept help. Yeah, and to me, that's, you know, that's Barbara or, or Corey. Yeah. And I'm, and also, you, you, you also uh, mentioned in a, in a part, which I'm probably going to cut out just because just because that was where we were at, um, and I had to cut out some, something, something that happened, uh, which now you listeners will not know happened because I cut it out. Ha ha. Um, you mentioned that, you know, Tim Seeley introduced a, a, a new love interest for, for Dick in the beginning of the Nightwing Rebirth launch. 
Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they're in that same vein. Uh, no, she was in a completely different vein. She was like a former criminal who he'd tussled with a couple of times as Robin, who had like gotten a new start in, oh. in Bloodhaven and was like in a support group for former villains that he was vaguely affiliated with and who like her former mentor mentor showed up and got her back into the life. And I didn't love how the book resolved their plot line together, but I really liked her and them together. And this like Dick with the bad girl kind of, but she was trying to be better and do good. And because just, Dick like, is such a good boy. Yeah. Like Dick with someone who wants to be good, but who's I'm describing Catwoman. Never mind. <laughs> basically, basically, it was the Catwoman to Dick Grayson. Okay, I mean, yeah. I, I'm that that kind of makes sense. It's just that doesn't fully work because Dick Grayson is not Bruce Wayne. No, it doesn't. Um, and like again, I stand by. I stand by what I said about my my ideal for Dick Grayson. Um, a Corey or a Barbara. Yeah, some someone in that milieu. Just in case you cut it, the the Nightwing issue I was thinking of where Superman shows up was number nine. There. Now it's definitely still in the episode. Or I could not cut it at all. And now it's there twice. And we know that I've hedged my bets because I am a sociopath and it's important to me that everyone know I was right. There you go. But Suicide Squad. Yes. It's a good, good book. It really is, and 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 like I love that like we get out of our tension to come back, and honestly, I think I feel like we've kind of just, you know, like said everything we really want to say. It's just this is just a really great book yeah. that I highly recommend to people. Like this, you know this this is the long haul, of course. So, but like this this one, I I wouldn't say it should be someone's first comic, but it could definitely be within like the first ten to fifteen that you that you sure. read. Um, and also like another reason why it's not on comics quest right now is because we're doing Morrison quest. So there's, so there's that. Yeah. Um, cause this could, cause I could honestly like definitely see us having talked about this over on comics quest, but just, you know, and I, I don't doubt that there's the person out there for whom like they have absorbed enough of just the general sort of zeitgeist of, yeah. of the DCU and the suicide squad who like, this version of it with the revolutionaries coming and like that alone could be enough to hook someone. Yeah. In fact, I feel like if someone has at least just like watched the majority of the Dini of the, the Bruce Tim Paul Dini DC shows has watched the majority of the animated movies that have come out has, you know, and, Maybe and like, even just, just if they've seen the James Gunn suicide squad, that too, like if you've at least seen that movie and a lot of the car and a lot of the animated shows and a lot of the, the animated movies, and you just ha- like you can get like a general sense of like who a lot of these characters are that are that are like established before the this book begins. Um, like you can easily get into this, but as yeah. but if but if you're not someone who is who's fully familiar with the DC universe, this you know not your first, but definitely like within your first ten to fifteen. Yeah, it's great. It really is, and and we are just continuing to indoctrinate people into our Tom Taylor cult. I'm not hiding it anymore. Like this is just, this is our cult. Yeah. Look, if there's anything you should take away from this, it's that if you're going to confuse your Toms, there's really no excuse because one of them is fun and empathetic and the other loves to make people suffer. And there's a place for both in storytelling. Yeah. 
but you can tell you there's an easy way to tell the difference. Look, I still don't story. understand how people got them mixed up. I really don't. I get it that they're both bearded white dudes, but and they're both named Tom, but like how how did people get them mixed up? I mean, I don't I don't have an answer. I've never really gotten it. Like the extent to which I get it is it happened enough times that they started like using each other's profile picture as their avatar on Twitter and that just like kind of played it up for laughs. And then that kind of exacerbated things. And there's a point at which I wonder if like a popular comics news site that is more a gossip site than news that I will not name because I hate them. Um, like you don't want to put them I on blast. I know. Cause I don't want, I don't want, I don't want them to get the clicks. Fair enough. Um, I also don't think it's that thinly veiled. Like there's one obvious like comic book gossip site. Um, but I, I wonder sometimes if they don't play into it just as bad journalism and not earnestly make the mistake. Because mm-hmm. I really, I really don't get it at this point. Like it. No. Yeah. There's no there's no excuse now. I was being nice earlier, but there's no excuse now. There really isn't. I agree. Uh because, you know, on it like I like you're and you're right, like the the, you know, love and empathy and and on the other end of the spectrum suffering, they you're right, they both do serve a purpose in storytelling. And, you know, yes, there are times where, like, I do want to, you know, pop open Mr. something like Mr. Miracle or the Sheriff of Babylon or anything, or something like in that vein. Um, I mean, even more shock right now. The only Tom King or the only yeah Tom King book that I can think of that I think you could understandably confuse for Tom Taylor is Grayson. But I think it's important to note that he had Tim Seeley co-writing with him, mm-hmm. and that its tone is very different because of that. Because naming Dick Grayson's butt cheeks does sound like something that Tom Taylor would do. Definitely. And having teenage spies in training jokingly lusting after said butt cheeks feels more of the world of Tom Taylor than of the world of Tom King. You're right. You're absolutely right. So we're saying that Grayson is essentially like Tom Taylor or Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but I can at least understand the mistake in that case. Fair enough. Um, so essentially what we're saying now is like, this is essentially the end of the episode and just everyone go, go check out Suicide Squad Bad Blood. It's just absolutely great. And, you know, if if, if you love this and and you, you haven't d- dug, dug into the deceased world yet and you, you love Wink and the Eerie as much as we do, you can go find more of them in DC's Hope at World's End. I will say this to underscore how much I love this book. As many times as I've wanted to, I've resisted now for two hours of recording time making a Taylor Swift reference. Shit. I, oh God, I can't. Oh shit. <laughs> I just got that. Damn it. Okay. It has taken great resolve on my part not to sing a little bit of that song. 
All right. We before we even before we even dig into before we, that ever happens, we're gonna end this episode. So everyone, <laughs> that's the end of the this episode. Which means it's time for plugs. Alex, where can people find you, and what have you got going on? You can find me lurking in theater rehearsal spaces, and also on Twitter. I am on Twitter at Alex Lavelle two thousand five. I am on Panelology, which is on Twitter at Panelology, and on Minds at Yerk, which is on Twitter at Minds at Yerk. And someday again, when there are episodes again, we'll be on the Rob Thomas, no, not that one, at Not That Robcast on Twitter. Um, I'm also on TikTok, but I never post anything. I just like watching TikToks. You can follow me, but it won't do you any good. There's some good stuff there. TikTok is fun. Yeah. TikTok can be fun. TikTok is fun. Yep. I, 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 in fact, I was sent, I was sent a very fun TikTok while I was at work at 2 a.m. this morning. So that was fun. Uh, TikTok taught me a couple of days ago that Lin-Manuel Miranda was a dancer in Austin Powers. You're going to have to send that to me if you find it again. I will send it to you. Oh, I've... I'm assuming you saved it. I keep certain TikToks saved in a note on my phone for future reference. You're going to have to send that to me whenever we get done recording because I... And also, uh, because we have now mentioned it in this episode, we are also going to share it when when I post about this episode. Okay. Because that's just how this works now. Um, but yeah, so everyone, that's the end of the episode, um, and it's time for me to give my plugs and my thanks. So first of all, uh, I have to give a thank you to, even though he hates, absolutely hates me saying this, I have to give a, I have to thank my lovely, wonderful, just F, just fucking brilliant co- uh, guest this week, Alex Lavelle, for agreeing to you come on. You always called me your co-host. <laughs> I was about to say co-host. I've- I've got to get up to that 50% mark instead of that 33% mark to earn that one, I think. <laughs> I almost said it. Look, uh, to be honest, I think I have, like, at this point, I could argue that, like, you, Alan, Case, Angela are kind of my co-hosts on this show. Because you four are the ones who I continually bring back. We are your recurring guest hosts. Yes, also, when you started to say fucking, I thought you were going to call me effervescent, which I would have let you. I was about to as missed, well, but I was like, the opportunity. that's not a word I use very often. And, and, I, and I occasionally uh, question uh, question myself on whether on what the definition of that word is. So I mean, look, I would not normally describe myself as bubbly, but because it feels like a joke, I can accept it. <laughs> okay but but still alex thank you for for coming back on i I love having you here i love talking to you i love catching up with you and i love talking to tom taylor with you as do i yeah and i also i i gotta thank you the listeners for continuing to listen to the show it just it warms my heart that you continuously just come in week in and week out and just just fill my life with joy. I love you all. And because of that, I want to ask you if you're able to, whatever platform you're listening to this on, please rate, review, subscribe. It really helps the show. It helps us grow. It helps us reach more people and helps more people just discover this show and, and helps people, you know, either read more comics or just get back to reading comics or, 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 you know, you know, discover something that they haven't, that they haven't read yet. And, and maybe get them to read something they haven't, they, they may not have given a chance yet. And that's all I want in life. Really. That's all I want to do with this show. And then I also have to give a huge shout out and a thank you to the wonderful Dan Purcell, the friend of all pods, 
for crafting the beautiful theme song that opens and closes every episode. Dan, you're the absolute fucking best. I love you. Everyone go check him, check his original music out. Uh, go check him out on Twitter and Instagram at the Dan Purcell. He's the absolute best. Dan, I love you. And then I got to thank the certain POV network for continuing to put up with my bullshit and just letting me run rampant all across the network, ranting about comics. Please go to certainpov.com. Check out all of the other great shows we've got there. We've got, you know, Panelology and Rob Thomas. No, not that one. Robcast. They're both there. But you've also got Let's Rewatch. You've got The Real Movie Critic versus The Synagogue. You've got Saturday Morning Confidential. Books That Burn. Judging Book Covers. There's just so much that you can dive into over there. All great shows. All hosted by the best of humanity over there. Then if you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, there is a link to the Certain POV Discord. Come hang out with us. We talk video games, we talk movies, comics all the time over there, We and we just have a grand old time. If you want to follow this show, you can follow us on Twitter at ComicsQuestShow, uh, where, you know, I very rarely post, but I'm hoping by the time this episode drops, I'm going to, I'm really going to try to be much more of a presence on, on, on Twitter because, you know, it, it, you know, that way, like, you know, I can, I can hopefully like connect with more people about comics because that's really all I want to do. Um, and also in the bio of, the, of that, uh, of that, of, of good Lord, I can't fucking speak <laughs> the bio of, of our, of our, uh, Twitter homepage, whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, there is a link to my personal discord that, uh, you know, there, you know, we talk comics quest in the long haul. We're talking, um, our new show, my new show, fables and reflections with my friend, Angela bones Bullock. Um, you know, and you know, by the time this, this episode drops, we'll have, you know, last week we'll have dropped our second episode discussing the movie Coraline. Um, next week we're going to be talking about the book Stardust with, um, I guess who we will reveal in due time. Um, yeah, so with all of that said, uh, I'm going to also mention briefly what we have coming up. So, uh, next week stuff, we've got uh, the penultimate episode of Comics Quest. Uh, we are discussing the miniseries Nameless by Morrison and artist Chris Burnham with co-host of certain PV podcast Judging Book Covers, as well as Alex's Minds at Yerk co-host, Meg Griffin. That's right. There we go. We're finally, we're like, we're, we're getting, we're like, look, it, it's, and I know it's really weird. Like I, I get it listeners. It's really weird for me to have people on this season who are not normally here. I get that. It's weird. I get it. I know you're probably thinking I've gone just batshit crazy. Don't worry. I haven't. I, 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 I'm, I'm completely sane to my knowledge. Um, but you know, we all know how that works out. Um, however, so, uh, next episode of the long haul is kind of special. Um, it is episode 10. We've been doing like, well, we're getting close to the 10 episode mark on the show. That's pretty exciting. Um, but on that episode, um, we'll be discussing a very weird topic. I'm going to have my very good friend, Seth Decker from the Film Rescue Show, from Montrester Media in general, but uh, most notably from the Film Rescue Show, split the difference of uh, that weird-ass game, Palette Cleanser, as well as uh, the YouTube their YouTube series with Aaron Moriarty, Loki Sucks Dick. Um, and Seth and I are going to be having a very weird, a very interesting conversation where we're going to be talking about the weird history of the 90s phenomenon 
known as Amalgam Comics. So tune in to whatever that mess is going to be. Um, and by mess, I'm not referring to the, I'm referring to just the conversation itself and what we're going to be diving into and not Seth. Because, I mean, Seth is just a beautiful mess. We're, we're all beautiful messes. That's just who we are. Um, but yeah, all in a bit, seriously, again, thank you all so much. I love you. Thank you for tuning in. And remember now that you're familiar with the road, don't be afraid to go off course and have fun. Rob Thomas has been writing since the mid-90s. The Matchbox 20 guy? No, the guy behind Veronica Mars. Oh, and iZombie. And Cupid, Party Down, the Cupid reboot. I haven't seen those. Me neither, but we should watch them and then talk about them on our podcast. Yes, we could call it the Rob Thomas. No, not that one. Robcast. Every other Tuesday with Alex and MJ. Find us at notthatrobcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. CPOV CertainPOV.com